0: Thanks for listening to the Media People Podcast, lively and insightful chats with the people who power the media industry. I'm your host, Victor Genova. For more episodes, you can go to mediapeople.ca or subscribe wherever you get podcasts. Views expressed by participants are personal. When ACAST, one of the world's leading podcast companies, wanted to expand into Canada, they tapped Heather Gordon to lead the charge. A digital media sales veteran, Heather got her start at Chum Television working as an unpaid office assistant. She moved into a paid role at Chum Interactive, providing sales support for one of their first digital sales teams. She rose through the ranks before taking the reins of the digital sales team responsible for the legendary Canadian music television brand, Much music. From there, Heather moved to the CBC, where she led digital sales for the public broadcaster. Heather Gordon stops by to chat about many things, including the women who influenced her career, leading digital sales for some of Canada's biggest online media brands, and launching Acast's first Canadian team.
1: Acast is a global podcast company um, born in Sweden uh, many years ago, Um, and we are a hosting and monetization platform. So we have offices throughout the world and all the fabulous parts, Um, of the globe. And my role at ACAST in Canada is uh, the managing director.
0: Heather, I'm really looking forward to our chat. Thank you for stopping by today. But let's go back to the beginning first. Where are you from?
1: I I was born in Burlington, Ontario, which is a suburb of Toronto, where I lived uh, up until the age of about 18, uh, when I broke free and made it to the city of Toronto, where I currently reside.
0: Burlington's an interesting place because it could be a suburb of Hamilton or a suburb of Toronto.
1: Yes, I guess I guess so. I always saw it as a burb suburb of Toronto. I I think from an early well, early in my teens, I knew that um Toronto was my my next destination. Um but yeah, you're right. The Hammer is um Hammer is right next door too.
0: So what were your interests or, or hobbies growing up? Like what occupied you?
1: You know, I was a, a Typical teen, I think. Um, in addition to to hanging out with friends and all that nonsense, um, I love movies and music, and those things still are very uh, important and powerful in my life right now.
0: So, okay, let me stop you right there. Like going back to say your teenage years, is there a specific movie or song that when you either see it or hear it, it just takes you back to that time?
1: I think it when I think back about movies. Um, I think of the the film Singles. Do you remember it?
0: No, I don't remember Singles.
1: Oh, it was a good one. Um, it it was around the time where uh, the Seattle grunge scene was emerging, and it starred Matt Dillon. And it, it it's the soundtrack that I remember. So it was like Allison Chain's Pearl Jam, um, Mud Honey. Screaming Trees, who I loved at the time, The Smashing Pumpkins, Mother Love Bone. It, it was representative of that music scene that was emerging. Um, and um, who made it? Was it Cameron Crowe made it? And it was uh, it it was powerful at the time. And, and that soundtrack is still um, it, it still resonates if you if you go back and have a look at it. Uh, and I'd encourage you to go watch the film. It. it was very impactful at the time. And I actually should go give it another look um, because it's been many years to see if it is still impactful or was it the time of my life, my age and that emerging music scene that, that meant so much um, to me and, and my friends at the time. But, but it was very impactful and I still remember it. And the, just thinking about the songs takes you right back. Right
0: oh i hear you there are certain songs that when you hear them you just kind of go back to a a specific period in your life you just absolutely can't shake it whatsoever but you were a massive grunge fan it sounds like yeah was Was that an overstatement
1: no i don't know yeah i guess it's a it's a label that you know after a while you're like i couldn't be a massive grunge fan i've outgrown it um but that is about an ego and yeah i was a massive grunge fan yeah absolutely i uh I loved it. I loved the direction um that m- music was going with the emergence of Nirvana and the Pearl Jams and the Sound Gardens. Um and I was all in. It was and then the uh, a movie to reflect all of that. It um it was a recipe for success. I really don't know box office how the the movie did, but I bet you if you asked um many other gen xers if that movie resonates with them most would would probably remember
0: it and have fond memories like myself it's just funny you bring up grunge and movies together one movie that really resonated with me and it was from the grunge era and it's weird saying that because it's kind of like grunge made this huge impact and then as a genre it fell off and still we've got certain bands that live on like the foo fighters for example and pearl jam but it's like you don't really hear about grunge as a genre anymore. But no. to, not to get sidetracked about that, I will say, remember Empire Records? Yes. That, like that right there. If you ask me to fuse the genre of grunge or give it a visualization that isn't a music video, I mean, that movie right there, I thought captured it. And Mallrats, and I guess anything by Kevin Smith in the 90s. Yeah, I was
1: not ne- I was never that uh, into Kevin Smith. But yeah, it's, it's the exact same thing. Um, and it does capture a, a moment in time and... Um, sort of brings up those old memories when, when you hear it, right?
0: Nostalgia is definitely something you can hear.
1: Reminds me of a mixed tape.
0: Oh God, a mixed tape or a mixed CD. It's like crazy. We don't have that anymore. They're just mixed playlists. Not that I'm saying it isn't convenient, but it's like, there was something tangible about cramming 12 of your favorite songs on a CD.
1: Yeah. I, uh, I'm watching, um, a program right now called Yellow Jackets. Are you familiar with it?
0: Is that one on Amazon Prime?
1: mm think it's possibly crave um, I, I
0: i have heard of it yeah
1: there and, and it, it it's it's takes it's takes place in in the present but it it goes back to um a, a time where they make mixtapes and mix, a mixtape factors into one episode and um, and you forget, right? It's like someone cobbled together um, a selection of music based on what they think you would appreciate. And yeah, you just, it uh, it was great, right? Who doesn't want to get a mixtape made?
0: I might want to search Amazon to try to find a stereo that's got the dual cassette player so we can make that mixtape.
1: <laughs> Fantastic. I love it.
0: Did you have any influences growing up, like anyone you looked up to?
1: You know what? I'm, in, in terms of influences outside of of rock and roll and music and and entertainment in in general most of my um inspiration has been derived from um, people I've worked for i've had um the luxury uh and have been so fortunate to work for many many strong and inspiring and mostly women um who have taught me, um, nurtured me, uh, been a soft landing when I needed it um, and uh, are still for the most part in my life. and, And I'm very grateful for that.
0: Anyone in specific you want to call out and talk about, say, a bit of advice they might have given you along the way that helped you get to where you are now at ACAST?
1: Oh, that's a good one. Okay, yeah, I've, I'll shout out a few few bosses. Um, Roma Khanna, I'm not sure if you're familiar with Roma. She's um, now living in, in L.A., but was my boss at CHUM. Um, then she went off to run NBC International in London, then off to um, MGM in L.A. as the president of television, so a very, very fruitful career. Um, Maria Hale is another leader I had who I did and still do adore. Um, she also was at, was at CHUM and she went on to work at TELUS and Chorus. And I believe she's in LA. Does everybody go to LA? I'm not sure.
0: Or <laughs> New York or, or, London. I mean, those are the, basically the Holy Trinity. If you want to say, not that you can't make it in Toronto, but if you get transplanted to any of those places, yeah, it's an instant success.
1: Nancy, Nancy McConnell. She's now, um, I don't Nancy. yeah, Google, and she hasn't vacated for, for bigger cities, but yeah. So, um, Those are three women that have been very inspirational and and for various reasons um, uh, have taught me so much. And in terms of advice, just, um, you know, just, I don't know, I I can't, I'm trying to think of anything they've said in specific. It's more not even what they said. It's what they modeled. Um, Smart, intelligent, um, you know, um, empathetic, um, funny uh interesting, engaging, all of it. Um and just have been very nurturing to me and um mm-hmm. and kind to me. And I, I think kindness is underrated in a lot of times. So
0: um it goes a long way, right? Oh, absolutely. That's something they don't talk enough about in college and universities how a good mentor or a good support group above you can do wonders for your career.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. It um it it can change the game. Um, and maybe, maybe it's the the fact that they're women and uh, are in touch with that side. I'm certainly not saying that men aren't, but um, it, it just so happens to be in my case that that very three, three very strong women have also shown a lot of kindness. And you can be all, you can be all those things. You can be smart. You can be intelligent. You can be funny. You can be empathetic and kind. You don't uh, need to be one toward the other, you
0: know? Oh, I totally hear ya. You. Your very first job ever, while we're on the topic of nostalgia, really struck a chord with me. What was your first job?
1: Um, my bar- when I was a bartender, or the when I went oh. to Chum-
0: <laughs> Bun-, Bun King Bakery. Come on. <laughs> oh, Bun King Bakery. Oh, How did god. you forget Bun King Bakery?
1: Oh my god, yeah, in Burlington, I worked at Bun King when I was quite young. Um, yeah, I loved my job at Bun King.
0: Loved it. We had a Bunking out here too. I don't know if it was by the same owners or people were just using the name and no one was suing you for copyright infringement, but
1: yeah, I love the Bunking bakery. Bond memories, Victor.
0: Okay. So what did you learn about yourself in your very first part-time job? Cause that's something I like to ask people. Cause it's funny because you're working retail, but not the typical retail that people would expect when you say, Hey, I worked retail. Cause they would think you'd work department store, clothing store, but this was a little bit different.
1: Well, the, the the first thing that was different was they were willing to hire me at, you know, I can't remember how old I was, but it was, I felt a little bit young at the time to be having a first job and being responsible for a till um of, you know, hundreds and hundreds of dollars. Um, I was ambitious and from a young age and I knew I had tastes that I, you know, I wanted to buy things. And um, my mother always said, you're going to have to get a good job because your tastes are <laughs> a little <laughs> extravagant. So I wanted to get to work. I wanted to make my own money. Um, and Bun King was willing to hire me and um and I was willing to work hard for it because uh I wanted to enjoy the spoils of of having access to money at a at you know, in my teens when um, you know, those desires to have purchase power kick in.
0: Literally you were kind of laying the seeds for your future career in sales because you don't go into sales unless you like money.
1: Buns don't sell themselves, Victor.
0: <laughs> That's true.
1: Actually, do it, Bun King, because they're so good. Yeah, I think sales was a, a little bit of a natural f- for me, definitely.
0: You can sell a bun. You can
1: sell anything.
0: You can definitely sell media if you can sell a Kaiser.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. That's a good quote. I'm going to have to put that, write that down.
0: We got put it on a T-shirt or a bumper sticker or something like that.
1: Totally. <laughs> a Kaiser, good one.
0: So, what brought you to Sheridan College and what did you study? I wanted to be in television. Um, I found it very difficult
1: to imagine a world um, where I I had an exact idea of what it is that I wanted to do. Um, I knew I loved television. I knew I loved city TV and much music. I loved this street front, storefront accessibility. I liked that they stripped. The walls down about how to make television and they showed you how to make television you saw lights you saw cameras you saw activity in the back I loved all of it so that's what I wanted to do and the easiest way to do that was to to learn how to make television so Sheridan offered a course many courses um, I took media arts um where you learn uh video production audio production um all of it videography film um so you did a little bit of of everything Um, to to learn, uh, like, how to do a switcher, how to switch cameras in a TV production, all of it.
0: Did they also teach you how to write for television as well, too?
1: There wasn't, there was writing, but not, not, no. I wouldn't say, I I wouldn't say I left school um, knowing how to write a a script. Um, I'm sure I could have continued on in various writer courses to do that. Um, I left more with an understanding of how to, you know, light, uh, up a couple of people or how to get the audio, right. Or, you know, how to work a camera, that kind of thing.
0: And after graduation, you found your way into the industry, uh, but we already teased it a little bit via bartending at the Phoenix. So tell us how, what you were doing there. And did that kind of, did you use that to parlay into much music or were you just kind of doing that or working at Chum as an assistant or was that kind of something you were just doing, uh, side by side with that?
1: I think I, I start. I think I was bartending, I, in parallel to school again, just to have cash. I moved to the city. It's an expensive place to live. Um, and then, so as soon as I graduated, I just started bartending a lot more, um, at the Phoenix. We made a very good money, had a very good time. Um, but I knew I needed to, you know, get, get into, um, the television racket and, you know, start building my future. Um, but you know, it, it was a hard building to get into. It's like, you know, it's hard when you're just out of school and you don't if you don't know people to just I was sending in resumes and, you know, nothing was landing. I didn't know anybody. Um, and then uh, a fellow bartender named Gregory at the Phoenix introduced me to to somebody there who um, uh, was head of. Um, uh, the entertainment division, I'm I'm forgetting what the, the division was called, but, you know, would put on, uh, did all the, uh, events, event planning and a bunch of different roles within the organization. And I, I built a resume, um, on the back of an absolute vodka bottle where I found the same stencil and stenciled my resume. It was like absolute Heather and then just some stats on me. And, um, so I got an interview because of it and there wasn't a job, but, she's like, you know, we, we need to get you in here somewhere. And then City Interactive launched and there was like three paid employees and they needed a an office ma- manager, an office assistant, but they didn't have a budget. So I was like, I'll do it. And so I bartended until three in the morning then got my butt in the chair um, from Monday to Friday at 9am and then slowly evolved that into a, a paying job. And sales assistant. Then I just sort of started to fill the roles that would eventually vacate. Um, So they never had to look at anybody, look for anybody. I just was there.
0: (laughs) Your love for Chum, how much of it was the actual brands versus the actual building? Because we don't talk enough about, I don't think the Chum City building gets enough credit because it's kind of like, what's the best way I could put it? It's kind of like, I don't know, the Wrigley Field of Canada of media, or the Cinderella Castle. Like I'm trying to think of like those iconic things that look larger than life that you kind of they, they look kind of surreal. You're like that ah, building doesn't exist in real life until you get there and go, wow, this is really where the magic happens.
1: It was all of it. Like I loved the brands, fashion, TV, spectacular movie, TV, spectacular media, TV, the news, much music. You know the, again, just the the lack of any structure where they would just take what felt like regular people off the street. I mean, I know that's a simplification um, and turn them into VJs. If they had a passion for, um, for the the music craft and, and pop culture. Um, and it was all so intoxicating to me. And of course it came wrapped up in a beautiful building at the corner of Queen and John. And they would throw open the, uh, the walls and allow people in um, sometimes figuratively, sometimes not. And <laughs> it was just, it was really intoxicating. Um, and, uh, you know, I was, I was in, I just needed to figure out a way to make it happen. And, um, with a little perseverance, um, I made it happen.
0: Okay. So I'm going to give you two words. We're going to go way back with this one because this was kind of, this was one thing I really remember about. There are a couple of things to remember about much music back in the day, but electric circus. Yeah, baby. Oh, that was great. Every Friday night. I mean, you throw that on and that was fantastic. And speaking of going onto the street, that's exactly what they would do. It literally queen and John would turn into a giant party.
1: Totally. Totally. Monica deal.
0: Yep. Monica deal. And the other one I missed too, for much music, maybe they're still doing it and I miss it, but definitely not on the scale. Remember the intimate and interactives.
1: Yes. So wonderful. Oh, and those were great. Like, like just, it was just television. Like people weren't, weren't making. And, uh, and it, yeah all of it i do remember intimate interactive and those were wonderful um and it obviously is a shame that that's not the way we consume um our content anymore and and people don't need to tune into one channel um there was it was a time when if you wanted to promote a single uh an album whatever uh, a movie release you know you had to hit much music it was a it was, not, it was not optional. It was important for an artist to, to get exposure.
0: And, and I then, remember, yeah, go ahead. Sorry, not to now, cut you off.
1: Now there's nothing to cut off. You know what the future became. It became YouTube. It became 30 other ways to access content. And um, and then, you know, the eventual ratings decline and and
0: where we're at now. And what's really unfortunate is what I really appreciated about the Intimate and Interactive Concerts was is that they were like 50% concert, 50% talk show. And I really like that. I felt that an interview with an artist seemed to be a lot richer if it was done in between sets or after they had just performed rather than just, Oh, another press junket sit here. Here's journalist number 32. Who's going to ask you the same questions.
1: Yeah, I agree. And I think, um, I think the VJs had an authenticity about them that, um, that resonated. I mean, not every band is going to like every, uh, VJ and, we certainly have lots of great stories about conflict, but um, I think you're right. I think that uh, that environment created um, an opportunity for wonderful sharing and that intimacy. That's that's what, why it's called intimate and interactive. Um, and it managed to capture something really special that I'm, I'm just not sure we see anymore. Or at least I, I don't. Um, you know, everybody can control their image, I think, a little bit, a lot more now. And um, you don't see that level of like the the interviews that they used to produce at the new music i mean people getting interviewed in bathtubs under all sorts of influences and um it was just spectacular you just you you don't really see that anymore because people's images are so heavily guarded and um and the press people are always around to make sure that you know you don't catch those unhinged moments that often
0: my favorite character on Much Music was easily Ed the Sock. Like nothing against Bill Lichka or Amanda Walsh, but when he would put out you remember Fromage where he would just narrate and rip apart? Oh my God, those had me in stitches. They were so brilliantly written. And I remember watching and I really liked how at least chum management allowed whoever Ed the Sock was to be critical. Cause there was one Much Music Video Award show where he was interviewing Kid Rock off stage. And you could tell Kid Rock was not having a good time. I don't think the whole format of it being a giant party really jived with him. And they were both ripping into, he was ripping into the format with him, trying to feed him lines built like, you yeah, know, this is really dull. This is crap. And like Kid Rock would be like, your words, not mine. Your words, not mine whatsoever. And I, I miss that kind of aspect of it. The MMVAs were also fantastic. And that's something I appreciated about much music. It was like, okay, certain formats were already adopted by MTV in the States, like their unplugged concert. And they'd say, well, how can we take it to a new level, which is how we got intimate and interactive. And they said, w- rather than do awards show at like the O'Keefe center around the corner, we're going to just throw a, a big ass party in the parking lot throughout the entire building. And I miss that.
1: So do I, it was a good time.
0: OK, so do you have a story meeting a celebrity? You kind of hinted that the VJs, obviously, sometimes there was conflict with an artist that we didn't see. But did you ever have a, a moment with an artist where you're like good or bad or anything like that? You can't believe they said that to you or you ran into them or maybe you were just observing something. If you okay. can share that.
1: Yeah, there's one that's kind of mild. I was pretty humiliated at the time, but it is kind of funny now um, we didn't with the intimate and interactives for a while. We would invite the guests up to. um uh, the interactive division where I worked so they could do an online chat, um, ah. which I, at the time was like a pretty big deal. They didn't always type for themselves. Um, but any- <laughs> oh, um, I, I was wearing um, a button-up, but it, it was a little bit more than a button-up. It was a little bit more of a clubby number that buttoned right up the, the front, as one does. And I went to the the washroom, and in the hall, I passed gavin ross rossdale is it is it gavin Uh,
0: gavin rossdale from bush
1: and he was coming at me and he was staring right at my chest and i was like oh that's a little bit um forward but you know i understand and then i got into the washroom and one of my the middle button of my shirt was had popped open and i looked like a little bit of a twat but (laughs) there's just stuff like that that i was a little bit embarrassed at the time but um, you know, that's the fun of it, right? You just, you probably wouldn't be in a situation where you walk down the hall and walked by an artist that wasn't flanked by somebody anymore. But that's just the kind of the environment at the time. Everybody, this, by and large, the entertainment felt comfortable. They would walk around the parties. They would, you know, it was generally, I think, enjoyed um, as refreshing as opposed to maybe some of the other stuff that they had to do as part of press junkets and touring and stuff like that
0: it was fun so you said you started as an office assistant at chum and started working your way up through uh through the sales ladder so i assume the next step was sales coordinator
1: yeah it was it was very um like the beauty of chum was it was you know i wouldn't say loosey-goosey because you know the they obviously did so many things right but it was a new division so um you know i don't want to date myself but Um, advertising online was relatively new. So we were kind of all making it it up as we went and, and the sales rep was hired and I just became the de facto support, um, you know, sending out proposals and doing what I can to support her and, um, you know, just watching, listening, Um, had no experience, didn't, didn't know any of it, didn't know how to turn a computer on the day I sat down for the job, Um, but just watched and learned. And then, when that person moved on, I just kept doing the job that she was doing or to the best of my abilities at the time and um, and just tried to make it so there was no need to replace her because I had already done it. Um, and that is an opportunity I just don't know if that would come along um, anymore. And, you know, there's a lot of controversy around uh, unpaid internships and yeah. uh, whether that is, you know, taking advantage of people. And I, I come from a background where if I didn't, volunteer um uh, at my services for no charge i wouldn't have been given a paid opportunity so in my in my experience it was very beneficial because i got the opportunity to learn how to do a job by being trained on the job and um and chum was great for that for giving you an opportunity um to learn and to grow i mean half of the on-air um staff uh talent that you saw started on reception um like jennifer valentine ziggy they all started um to my knowledge answering phones and just it was a place and a time where you could aspire to do more and be better and it could actually happen which was part of the magic
0: yeah that's the unfortunate thing about the way jobs are structured now like i had um one boss uh at CBC, I think it was Tim Murray who was telling me the story that I think he actually started in the mailroom at CBC because that's what you did after graduation. You found the company you wanted to work at. You got into whatever department you, you wanted to, you, whatever department you could get into. And then from there, you just hustled your way to the top. As openings came up, you just put yourself forward for that. We don't have that anymore.
1: doesn't feel like it. No, it, um, yeah, no, it, it doesn't seem to exist in, in, um, in that same way. So I'm grateful that I had the opportunity to do it. Um, and that it it worked out, but yeah, no, it, it can be very frustrating if it's like, well, you need the experience to get this job, but how do I get the experience if I don't get the job? And, um, I think it causes people to move around quite a bit so they can move forward a little bit. And yeah, it's a,
0: it's a tough one. It is a bit of a catch 22, but Chum was eventually acquired by Bell Media CTV. Sorry, CTV, CTV Bell. Okay, so when that acquisition happened, did the corporate culture change much? Did it become a little bit more rigid or was it just basically business as usual, just new owners at the top?
1: It it changed. I'm just trying to remember how drastic it was. You know, I don't think it came in overnight like a tsunami. Um, I just think the tides might have gotten bigger every day. Um, And eventually, yeah, a lot of the the spirit of chum um diminished and shows were cut and you know that when you're purchased by a ctv then a bell whose focus is on bottom lines and um you know finding ways to save money and um that's what happens you you no longer get um the sex tvs the ooh la La's if you remember that program yep i do because they're they're you know they weren't driving the profit they needed to be and they weren't they weren't the efficiencies that they needed, um, so you know that part of the culture changed and then of course with the efficiencies you lose people, um, and that's always a, a challenge and it it can be disheartening when people that you sort of cut your teeth with in your career are no longer there so it, it's never easy that kind of change um, and that spirit is definitely gone. Um, and it's it's kind of funny, anybody that's worked for Chum, there seems to be this little club of people that are so grateful that we had the opportunity at the time, um, which is a nice way to look back and, and think of, about that time of your life.
0: You made the jump to a leadership role at, uh, at, at do I call it CTV, Globe Media, Chum at that point, Bell, yeah. like was, whatever the uh, official term is.
1: Yeah, then I moved into a manager role and started to build um, a team, which was exciting because... That little thing called Internet Advertising works, and it stuck around.
0: So when you moved into that role, was it just a natural progression, like the opening happened and they said, hey, look, Heather, you've been here. You were kind of like employee number one or two on this. We're going to move you into it. Or did you have to go into your boss's office and say, hey, we need a little bit more management on the team. We've got to grow it. We've got to change the dynamic because, like you said, Internet Advertising is taking off. Like, which? How did we go about growing there?
1: It's a good question. I don't I, I don't have a crystal clear memory of it at the time. I think it was organic. It was like this is we just the numbers were moving year over year in the right direction and um many many years very aggressive growth and it was just uh a recognition that in order to keep that growth we're going to need a, a staff and I had been there and had been part of the build um getting like much com to where it was and city TV and those sites. So it was just a natural evolution. Um, and, uh, it just made, made sense. And the additional revenue we're making meant we could unlock more bodies. So it was, uh, it was a good time.
0: And the portfolio of brands that you were responsible for at that time grew as well. It wasn't just much music. Uh, I mean, there was the MTV comedy group and then vivo came on board as well, which is kind of ironic because, we were just talking about how, hey, you know, the way music was pre-internet or when the internet was in its infancy and just kind of the culture associated with it and how we've kind of moved to this on-demand consumption model. And that's basically what Vivo was. It was, correct me if I'm wrong, the opportunity uh, to actually have legally placed music videos so the artists would get the royalties rather than just having some random person upload a Soundgarden video or something like that.
1: Yeah, Vivo was um, was and is, to my knowledge, a conglomeration of um, all the record labels, with the exception of Warner Brothers, I think, and I don't know, if yeah,
0: should... Warner's not part of Evo, that I do know for sure. um, I would have
1: thought that would have changed in the last couple of years, but I guess not. Um, so, yeah, and it was our realization at much music at MTV that we aren't the only game in town, but with us a, a strong desire to remain the leaders in the music space. So it was a proactive um attempt to make sure that when Uh, An ad community, like a buyer or a planner, thought of the power of music and and reaching people via music that they thought of the Much an MTV group. And it was through uh, building up uh, the partnership with Viva that we could still claim to be, um, you know, a a must buy uh, if you want to reach that that target demographic who consumes a lot of music. Um, So that was that strategic decision to still stay in the music game
0: but the opportunity presented itself to move to CBC and become the director of digital sales sales there. What brought you to the CBC? Did you find the role or did the role find you?
1: Um, that's a good question. I think, well, you know, it's a small industry, Victor, you know that it's, it's, you know, and Mary, Mary Crook, that's it. Mary um, who ran the brand partnership group at CTV left C- uh, CTV and, and turned up at CBC. And I knew Mary and um, you know, you, you can't live in Canada and not be, familiar with the, uh, the corp. Um, and it was time I, I had invested, um, a lot of myself in, you know, the, the chum bell CTB combo, but it was time for a change and I felt like it was the right time for a change. I had had, um, my two children. Um, and, uh, it, it's funny. I guess it's like an evolution of my life while I was living, rock star years in behavior. I worked at much music and MTV. And then as my life evolved and I, you know, started to care about things that matter for the future, like the environment and politics and all that sort of stuff. It's like my, my career, uh, mirrored what was happening in my personal life. And I was ready for a change to go tackle, um, you know, a, a different kind of content, uh, and the CBC fit perfectly. And, um, you know it's a, it's a great experiencing working at a, a public a, a great experience working at the public broadcaster um and it was a fun 5 years and i'm met and have maintained a lot of really wonderful friendships
0: oh i'm an ex cbcer so i i can completely concur with you there let me ask you though what did you find was the biggest difference or maybe if it, it was even a challenge working at say a public broadcaster versus a private company
1: i think because we were partially funded, there was probably partially funded by the government. I think there was a larger a divide between content and sales, um, where it, it it we weren't quite as integrated um, because you know we weren't as revenue driven because we were partially government funded. Do you know what I'm I'm trying to say? That they I
0: know exactly what you're saying.
1: <laughs> it, it was a little bit more. Um, separate than say um the integration we had and the integration i have now um at ACAST we we are uh, hand in glove with our content brothers and sisters and um we build together and we monetize together and um we do it holding hands uh and uh with an eye to each other's business we don't want to hurt the content business with ad sales um but we also know we have you know what i mean it's it's wor- working together we have ad sales targets we have listens targets and we work together and that may may have been a little more absent at uh, at the CBC
0: how did the opportunity to join Acast present itself
1: at CBC had a relationship with Acast because they monetized the uh the CBC podcast audience outside of Canada so i ah, never- okay. They were working for us and um, and for all the reasons we we thought they were the right ad seller reseller for us. It was all the reasons I was interested in working with them. And it was also an opportunity to build something in Canada um, because it it didn't exist. So it was a great growth opportunity to build a team.
0: And podcasting, it's got to be one of your favorite mediums.
1: I love it. I fell in love with it at CBC and props to CBC Nobody does it better. I believe there's a song of the same name. Um, the the audio content produced at the CBC is spectacular. Um, the podcast made me fall in love with the medium. Uh, the intimacy um, it just it, it it blew me away. And also from an ad sales perspective, the you know the level of integration, the fact that uh, podcasts were not cluttered with ads uh the tone of them, the the host read opportunities, like it just it felt like something special. Um and it had been a while since I'd had that reaction to uh an ad product. And um and I obviously saw what was happening in the market that there there seemed to be growing demand and that it didn't look like the demand was ceasing anytime soon. And it, it again just it, there's just a gut instinct that says this is this is a challenge and a risk I'm gonna take. Um, and I, I, I've, I've loved every second of it. Um, I love the medium. I love the company that I work for. I love the people that I work with. Um, and, uh, and it just felt right. And, and it was right.
0: Talk to me though, about working for a, um, wait a minute. Did you start this job though, during the pandemic or, uh, before it like, started?
1: I haven't been in an office.
0: Uh, okay. So let, let's talk about that because you get this really great opportunity to lead Uh, Canada for ACast, and you're doing it virtually when it seems like the rest of the world is falling apart around you and why that's so important to us is because we're in advertising sales when the world starts to crumble advertisers get nervous with their budgets so was it a little bit more difficult given the circumstances like do you think it would have been easier if one we weren't heading towards a self-inflicted recession and you weren't completely virtual with your peers
1: um, good questions. The 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 funny thing that we noticed at the CBC is, um, you know, when the, the pandemic hit, obviously budgets were impacted. Everybody's creative was, not everybody's creative, but a lot of the creative were free spirits roaming free in a society. Like all, everything was upended. It's like we can't air a commercial that isn't reflective of the fact that we're in a pandemic. So obviously broadcast budgets were impacted and digital budgets. But for some reason, the Podcast budgets. I think they they were the only medium at the CBC that didn't didn't take a hit, and I, I think it's because well, obviously podcasts are great, um, but I, it's also the ability to shift creative so quickly. We could record another spot in ten minutes. Um, you didn't have to reshoot anything. You didn't have to go outside to a studio that was off limits. You didn't need a camera. You didn't need a crew to come together, which was dangerous. It, you know, podcasting was the right medium at the right time. Now, obviously the revenue, and it, it was a lot lower. It's a new medium, but, you know, but the, the it was enough evidence there to me that it was um, the right thing to do. And uh, I, I'm a consumer and a listener and I know the power of of podcasts and you know, I I see the studies, we execute those studies. Um, they they work. <laughs> they are are powerful and, and I I just had the confidence that um like nothing is pandemic proof, um, but I had the confidence that we'd be okay.
0: There was a piece of research. I saw it on LinkedIn years ago and I wish I had downloaded it, and it was basically saying that when it comes to branding audio creative has the best brand recall with anyone like it beats television it beats print it beats everything i wish i could find that piece of creative because i brought it up in a meeting a little while back and people didn't believe me and then i can't believe i'm doing this on my own podcast i said okay let me know if this gets out of your head and i went fabric land fabric land (laughs) and some people were like what did he say and others were like yep we ain't gonna shake that for the rest of the day
1: yeah that's that's stuck in there now, uh, a theater of the mind. The mind is a powerful machine, um, and you know there's just you are a, a captured audience. Um, walking your dog or, or frittering about, and um, it gets into it gets into your brain. And Fabric Land's a great example.
0: Okay, so podcasting isn't the only medium you're into right now. You are also a published children's author. Tell us a little bit about that. Where where did that idea come about?
1: I'd always wanted, I think like a lot of people, <laughs> I wanted to write a kid's book. Um, and, you know, it had many stops and starts and it's, it's a lot harder than it looks. At first I was like, well, how hard can it be to come up with a cute little story? The Dr. Seuss makes it look really, relatively easy. Uh, and then of course you get into it and you find it's not that easy. And, you know, I'd put it aside and think about it and then forget about it. Um, and then of course I had kids And then, you know, the passion sort of ignited again. Um, And then I married uh, an actual novelist uh, who does write books, uh, real books. Um, And he was very, very encouraging and provided the support that I needed and the reassurance that I wasn't nuts. Um, And uh, and finally wrote the kids book that I wanted to write and um, managed to do it. While I was at the CBC and it it was a lot of work. Um, Don't regret any of it. It is a big hustle on top of a day job. Um, And I didn't realize what I was getting into when I did it. Uh, But I'm thrilled I I did it. I love it. I still enjoy picking it up and and reading it. And then I loved it so much. I did a second one. I just had an, an idea for a second book. So I had to do the second book. But now I feel like it's out of my system. But who knows, right?
0: You don't know when you're going to get that next creative burst or idea.
1: I don't think I will, but I didn't think I would after "Does the Queen Fart?" I felt like it was.
0: <laughs> <laughs> was that? Is that the first book?
1: Yeah, it is, Victor. I'm sorry.
0: Oh uh, no, that's great. Is are we talking about just a generic queen, or are we calling out uh, Queen Elizabeth?
1: Well, it was more. Um, <laughs> it, when it, it occurred to me when I had children that we spend inadvertently we we give and send a lot of messages about the their little bodies like if if they poop it's ooh stinky and when they fart ooh gross and it, all of these natural bodily functions that i think we inadvertently kind of send some signals that their body isn't perfect that they they're stinky and that's yucky and that's bad and um and what the reality is is our bodies and our brains are these complex machines that I can't even begin to understand um how we breathe, how our brains work, consciousness. Like it it's it's all magic, um, an amazement to me. And and the last thing I would hate to do is accidentally give my child the the idea that what their body was doing was less than perfect. Um, so that's where the idea came from. And then the queen was sort of the natural like who would be the most shocking person on the world that could ever fart so you know it, it it's a nod to the english throne but it's it could be anybody really um and of course she does fart and um bodies do produce these crazy noises when you feed them with broccoli and brussels sprouts and all these good foods that make you fart your body's doing the right thing celebration of the body victor
0: what about the second book what's the title of that one
1: I am Lazarus, a goat story.
0: (laughs) What What's that about?
1: It's about friendship. It's It's loosely based on um, the Greek um, Spartacus. Are you familiar with the Spartacus legend?
0: I saw season one of. I think it was a Stars Showtime show that was out fifteen years ago. But I am somewhat familiar with Spartacus.
1: Douglas Stanley Kubrick film um, many many decades ago. I love the film, um, and I love. You know the message that basically um, Spartacus stands up when someone's asking, uh, you know, who is Spartacus because he was going to be killed. Uh, Kurt Douglas stands up and says, "I'm Spartacus," but then all the other slaves slowly started one by one to stand up and say, "No, I'm Spartacus! I'm Spartacus!" And of course, they couldn't all be killed, so they basically stood by um, their friend, and and that essentially happens at the end of the kids' book. They're goats, mind you, and. Um, the goat, the goat's name is Lazarus as opposed to Spartacus. But, um, you know, it, it's it's about friendship um, and standing by your friends um, and solidarity and um, all those wonderful things that uh, that you hope to instill in your children.
0: And if anyone listening wants to pick up a copy of either book or both, where can they do so?
1: Amazon is probably the easiest. Thank you.
0: Oh, no worries. Happy to throw to that. I'm really enjoying our chat. Are you ready, though, for rapid-fire questions? Go. The campaign you're most proud of.
1: Well, we just launched uh, in partnership uh, with Intuit, um, a podcast with the Raptors' very own superstar, uh, Fred VanVleet. Um, so Fred was interested in getting into the podcast space, but was not interested in a podcast about basketball. He wanted to um, promote uh, BIPOC entrepreneurs and lend his hand and his voice um to help them in their business ventures. Um so we in partnership with Intuit launched Bet on Yourself, which is um a wonderful podcast that uh, just finished season one.
0: Your favorite movie?
1: Oh my gosh. There's I've got uh lots of favorites. Generally I I think I I love Dracula the most, um, whether it's Christopher Lee or Gary Oldman or Bela Lugosi. I I was about
0: to throw that out there. Bela Lugosi.
1: Yeah, he's um, quintessential uh, Dracula. Um, There's been many great Draculas, uh, and I loved them all.
0: He also spanned a number of different films, not just within its kind of own franchise, even though they didn't use that term back then, but like he would... He would headline the Dracula films, but then like Abbott and Costello meets Dracula, he'd be in those ones too. It's like he was the go-to person for Dracula at that point. Even though that wasn't a copywritten or trademarked role, anyone could have made a Dracula film.
1: Yeah, he definitely um, is Dracula to to a lot of people. But I'm sure you know younger generations probably aren't even um, aware of who he is. But uh, I'm here to keep the the Dracula legend alive. It's my favorite.
0: Lots I'm with you on that. Those those uh those old universal monsters, I loved those films.
1: Um and there's uh, other uh movies like uh, La Grande Bellezza, uh which is an Italian film which is one of my favorites that I probably need um to watch about once a month and I would encourage you to watch um book adaptations like um Dracula Age of Innocence I adore. There's so many. I love movies.
0: The Age of Innocence is an interesting one because that's a Scorsese film and he's got quite the cast in that. Like we got Michelle Pfeiffer, Daniel Day-Lewis. I even think Wyona Ryder's in that one too.
1: She is. It, it's all spectacular. His The, the visuals are, um, are heavenly to watch. Um, Daniel Day-Lewis is glorious to behold. Michelle Pfeiffer is spectacular. Like it's all, it's a poem. It's so good.
0: If Hollywood were to make a movie based on your life story, who would you want to play you?
1: Of course, Tilda Swinton, who doesn't? She's spectacular. Or Kate Winslet, not Kate Winslet, Kate Blanchett. Spectacular woman.
0: Kate Blanchett's got huge range. Likewise with Tilda Swinton.
1: They're both spectacular women. You know, just, they just seem like tough as nails, smart, fearless. Um, I'm certainly not suggesting I'm any of those things, but, y- you know, they're just uh, uh, just nice to behold.
0: So my follow-up to that question if Hollywood were to make that movie based on your life story, what would you call it? Oh God. If you're stuck, we can go with Oh God.
1: Oh God, we'll call it Oh God. Oh God, it's me, Margaret. No, I'm just kidding. That's a Judy Bloom book. I loved that book growing up too. Do you remember Judy Bloom?
0: I do remember Judy Bloom.
1: Amazing, amazing books.
0: Your favorite book? Ah, uh, Dracula. See, I love Dracula. Your favorite song?
1: Oh my god, it's whatever I'm listening to at the time. I think um I've got uh, Aztec Camera oblivious on right now. It's it's whatever I'm listening to is all of a sudden my favorite again. I heard um Dinosaur Jr on um what was I watching? It must have been Yellow Jackets they had part of the mixtape um episode. They played Dinosaur Jr Feel the Pain again, taken right back. I'm like that's my favorite song. Whatever I hear, I I uh I absorb it and and think it's my favorite song. I've got too many.
0: The best advice you have ever received?
1: Oh, for my husband, it's only take the yeses personally. He's very good at this kind of stuff. He, as a a, a novelist, I I suppose he hears no's quite a bit. Um, as a, it's a tough business. Well, every business is you know is challenging. But yeah, that was that was a good one. Just don't sweat it. Just take the yeses personally.
0: You could say the same with sales too you are definitely going to hear more no's than yeses and if you let the nose consume you you're not going to have a career
1: it's true it's true very true but so that's my sound advice just take the yeses personally
0: let the rest go if you could go back in time and give your younger self advice what would you say
1: i think i probably spent more time concerned with what people were thinking of me or their perception of me and i think the older you get, the more you realize, A, you don't care, B, they're not even thinking about you. Oh, um, but that just that just comes with time, right? That's um I could have told my younger self that, but I probably wouldn't have believed it. Um you just sort of get you just sort of arrive and you're like, oh right, right. They're not even thinking about me
0: at all. My signature closing question. If you weren't in media, what would you be doing and why?
1: I hope I'd be making television. Television is so good right now. Um and, uh, and I hope I, I would, would have landed on, um, the other side of the business and, uh, actually got to experience, um, making television. Cause wouldn't that be exciting, Victor? Wouldn't that be exciting?
0: Oh, I'd kill to be a writer for television or even movies as well.
1: I want to be in a writer's room just once.
0: I uh, do you, okay. Do you pay attention? Do you, or not pay attention? Do you watch those I think it's the Hollywood Reporter does the roundtables on YouTube.
1: Oh, I think I have I have I don't I don't make a habit of it. Should I?
0: Oh god, they're wonderful. It's like what re what really reinvigorated my love or passion for film was when the DVD came out. And the DVD when I started to just explore the extras cuz I'm like, well, how many times can you watch this movie? It's great that I own it. And then like listening to the director's commentary and stuff like that, it really opened my eyes to the way the way they think and the way things are constructed. It showed me that it was so much more deeper than it was. And that kind of fueled my passion to do what I'm doing right now. And just for writing in general. Amazing. But I would totally recommend that if like it's a Hollywood reporter on YouTube, they'll do these roundtables, And then I think it's variety also does something called actors on actors where they'll have uh, two different actors interview each other. It's really good. There's a really good one with variety where they do, uh, and this is very topical for right now. Um, john levy and uh and kieran culkin
1: oh hilarious he's so fun
0: yeah t- t- two guys who literally steal every scene in the respective shows that they're in
1: yeah yeah who was the first one i just caught uh kieran oh Hogan. it was
0: it was john levy am i getting his right like eugene levy's son from schitt's creek
1: oh dan levy dan levy
0: sorry i don't know why i said john levy
1: oh hilarious dan so levy. watching schitt's creek right now I, I, i'm the, the last person on the planet especially because i'm canadian and, um, and I'm enjoying every second of it. And of course, I'm obsessed with Succession. So yeah, I would, uh, I would definitely love to go out for dinner with those two.
0: I'm with you though on Schitt's Creek. I got into it fairly late as well. My wife and I actually just binged it from, if you can say it was binging, from December right through the last couple of weeks. And just, oh, it was great.
1: We're down to the last season, and I'm a little bit disappointed. But I wish there was more. But it's, it takes talent to go out on top and know when to leave the party. So never mind never my strong suit, but uh, good on them.
0: I agree with that. I like a show that's willing to say, no, this is the right time to stop rather than just let uh, no offense to accountants, let the accountant say, well, it's still making money. Let's keep going because you don't, you look at those shows and you're just like, you know what? The first four seasons were great, but the last two, we didn't need those.
1: We didn't need them. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. It was, it's a smart decision and you always leave your audience wanting more, I guess. Right
0: well here's one little teaser i'll leave you with if anyone if yourself or anyone else has not watched ozark yet watch it oh my god it is probably some of the most brilliant television right now and oh god yeah it is like have you seen it
1: i started the first season and i don't know why i didn't continue on maybe i need to reinvest because that sounds like a very strong recommendation
0: It's here's what I'll tease people with. One, you get to see Jason Bateman in a role he's I've never seen him in. He's usually, you know what he is. He's 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 Michael Bluth. I mean, he's he's the funny but not the funniest character in the comedy show. But he's the one keeping his family together, and he's the guy showing up in a rom com. But he is completely different, and I really like seeing actors get out of their their I don't want to say their element, but out of like that typecast role that they're usually in. And he's br- he's brilliant in it. And another teaser too is like, one thing I appreciated about Game of Thrones was that despite the number of actors that were stacked into that and how strong the roles were, they wouldn't think twice about killing someone off. Like just one day, it's just like, oh, we think the show's gonna revolve around them and then their head's on the floor. Yeah. And that's what I like about Ozark. You could be like, ooh, let's see where this character's story goes. And the next thing you know, spoiler, they got a bullet in their head and you're just like, oh, I thought we'd see at least two more seasons of this person. And so, yeah. he's
1: good right now is because they're, they're not afraid to, um, to take those chances and, and kill off their, their main characters. That's why it's good.
0: And this season as well was announced well ahead of time that it was going to be the final season. And I think it's because the pandemic was interrupting production of the final season that they had to film it into two parts. So they've just dropped. This is season four. They dropped the first seven or eight episodes of season four. And then we're literally just waiting for a trailer for the back half. And in typical Ozark fashion, they left you hanging at the end.
1: Um, Okay, I'm going to commit to it. That's my next watch after um, Yellow Jackets is over.
0: I'm serious. And then, you know what? Call me and we'll talk about it. Okay,
1: I will. I will. All right. watch singles.
0: I will. I'll watch singles as well. Heather, this has been fantastic. Thank you so much for your time.
1: It's been fun. Thanks, Vic.
0: That's it for today's show. For more episodes, you can go to mediapeople.ca or subscribe wherever you get podcasts. And don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Vic Genova.